Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Greetings and welcome to the War Room podcast. If you're at all familiar with the resident programs at the War Colleges, you'll know that one of the benefits of having students in a central location is that we're able to invite and hear from a number of senior and strategic leaders throughout the year. Each year, the Kermit Roosevelt Exchange Lecture Series between the United States and the United Kingdom is one such opportunity, and by hearing from a leader from outside the United States, it broadens perspectives and deepens connections among allies, friends, and partners. This exchange began in 1947 and continues today. This year, we in the United States are pleased to welcome Lieutenant General Patrick Sanders. He currently serves as Commander Field Army, a post he assumed in 2016. And since his commissioning in 1986, he has commanded at every level, including in operational environments in Northern Ireland, Kosovo, Bosnia, Iraq, and Afghanistan. He has served as a liaison officer to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and has filled many other important positions within the British Army and the Ministry of Defense. And he has agreed to sit down with us today, uh, just after lecturing to the class, so he's fresh off the stage, uh, to discuss perspectives on senior leadership and the challenges and opportunities of leading at the strategic level. So, General Sanders, welcome. Thank you very much, and hi to all the listeners. Very good. So we'll we'll start um, with a sort of easy one about your own personal connection uh, and some of the people you look up to, but could you tell us about the strategic leaders who you admire, whether those are military or civilian or contemporary or historical? Sure. So I'm going to go, I'm going to start with, I suppose, a couple of military leaders. Um, And I think the first one would be uh, Field Marshal Alan Brooks, or Alan Brooke, who was the chief of the Imperial General Staff in the Second World War. So he was selected by Churchill after he'd fired the previous chief. And he effectively acted as the chairman. So he was General Marshall's opposite number. And like General Marshall, was ultimately frustrated because like many senior officers, he wanted to have the opportunity to command during the war. But such was the importance of the contribution like Marshall he made to the development of Allied strategy through the war. It was... Uh, and I think the things I admire about him is, first of all, that that sacrifice that he made, but also because um, here was a man who had a capacity to absorb the brickbats that went with working with Churchill, the long hours, the uh, sometimes abuse, the frustrations. Not, not an easy, no, an easy job. Not at sure. all. I mean, a huge personality. And he had to work with the Americans. Well, he so <laughs> he he did. I mean, he got on extremely well with 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 Marshall. Um, and you know, as I think as we know historically, the first couple of conferences um, between the Joint Chiefs that went on, the British probably had the slight upper hand. Mm-hmm. They were better prepared. Of course, the U.S. soon right. caught on to that. They, they learned their lesson. They did. Um, but he he was he was uh, he was a, a I mean, we call him the master of strategy. And there's something. If you find yourself working at the strategic level, it's difficult not to admire that. And then you go back a bit further. The other leader that I've always admired was um, uh, Admiral Nelson. And uh, Lord Nelson, I think, was probably, I mean, not only a, 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 a naval genius as a tactician, but it was his promotion of a system of command that I feel, I find, 
the most interesting about him. So we we set a great store in our two armies about mission command, but you will find, I think, no greater exponent of mission command than Nelson. And there's a there's a great little historical anecdote, if you'll let me. Oh, absolutely. Um, where he is appointed to command the Mediterranean fleet. And this is, I think, um, before the Battle of the Nile and ultimately before Trafalgar. And uh, Lord Barham, who is uh, effectively the first sea lord, the head of the navy, congratulates him and pushes off across a copy of the navy list, the list of all the officers in the Royal Navy, and said, here is the list, choose your officers. And uh, Nelson pushes it back and says, uh, choose yourself, my lord. You cannot choose wrong. The same spirit actuates the whole profession. And that confidence that instead of picking his own team, he could pick any officer and they would all understand mm -hmm. his mind and system of command, I thought was a very powerful uh, anecdote. Absolutely. Um, if we think about the transition, one of the things our students are, are learning to do this year is transition from the tactical and operational levels where they've had lots of experience um, into the strategic realm, into the strategic world. But they're not there yet. They're still going to go out and be colonels. They're still going to go out and be um, brigade commanders and on, on staffs. And you've worked, I imagine, with lots of American colonels and lots of British equivalents. Um, what in your mind makes for a good colonel? Okay, so I'm going to finish your last question and then I'll answer that okay. one. And the third, the oh, third, yeah. I, so the third was Lincoln for off. Lincoln. And I don't need to understand, I don't need to explain why. I think Lincoln is, you know, tr true strategic level leadership. You'll find no one finer. Sure, and, and really this Lincoln. connection between the political yeah. and the military and the strategic. And and his capacity to, you know, and I always loved that book, Team of Rivals. I thought that was a sure. wonderful approach to leadership too. So to answer your, 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 your question, what are the qualities that you look for in a colonel? Um, so at this level, this is uh, this is as much you assume professional competence and knowledge at this level. Um, not everyone has it. If they don't, they need to catch up pretty quick because when you look to a colonel, you expect them to have a deep well of professional of professional knowledge. But actually, you the the more senior you get in uh, in, in in the armed forces in defence, the more you are looking for issues of character. You kind of take intellect for, for granted. Character plays such an important role. Um, and there are two aspects to it. One is um, is uh, um, uh, is judgment. So knowing um, when to dig in and when to give way, knowing how to read uh, senior leaders, particularly politicians, um, so judgment plays a critical role. Secondly, um, humility. So at this leadership, at this level, it's much more about um, enabling others to succeed, um, promoting often action officers actually into leading roles and having the confidence to do so, so that you're not creating briefings for briefings' sake. Um, and thirdly, um, being prepared to speak out. Uh, because very often in all our armies, uh, there's risk when you're more junior in speaking out. It's often the safer course to uh, be industrious and effective rather than risking your reputation by speaking out with conviction. But I always admire 
you know, at any level, but particularly in colonels, uh, colonels who are prepared to contradict, to speak out, to argue. Sure. It matters. Do you think there are ways to develop those three qualities? If if maybe they're not innate, how do we how do we cultivate those three in our senior leaders within our military systems? I think it's it it's a it's a cultural issue. Um, so uh, there's something in our system that uh, causes people often to be more conservative when when they're young, and we uh, we need to do more to reward innovation risk-taking to, pre- to promote a command climate where um, where you know we recognize that good ideas can come from anyone and people should have the ability to speak out that takes a little bit of time but as with almost anything in the army it comes down to issues of leadership and I guess leaders like me to make that clear to the army that I'm in I, I command at the moment the field army I command um, but to educate two and three levels down sure when you talk about judgment, right, this is something that comes with experience, that comes with uh, education, with reading widely, um, and with having peers, right, that, that are in a command climate of trust um, with both superiors and subordinates. Are there, are there areas where you think that judgment in particular is lacking or in... So I always liked, I can't remember which German general it was that described it, it was Hammer, Hammerstein or someone like that, who you know, said that there are four essential qualities and each officer has two of them. So you've got right. clever, uh, stupid, industrious, and lazy. And each officer has a combination of those two. And uh, he said that clever uh, and lazy was reserved for the highest commanders because only they've got the requisite nerve to deal with the pressure. Clever, industrious is great. You know, brilliant staff officers. Sure. Um, some use can be made of the stupid and lazy, but the most dangerous are these stupid and industrious. Industrious, yes. You know the you know the I, every I, and I think every profession has some some version yeah. of that. So there is something that is innate in everyone, um, but you can train you can train judgment, um, but a lot of it because it's about reading people and reading situations, and we're, we're generally speaking we're pretty good as armies because our, our business is people and managing and leading in people. Um, but uh, what, you, what you need is, uh, is, a, is a broader perspective. So the ability to understand that sometimes for the greater good, your priorities are not the organization's priorities. Sometimes you're not gonna be on the main effort. Sometimes you have to be in a supporting role rather than supported to recognize that you won't necessarily get the resources or the assets you need because it's just the wrong time. So it's being able to understand the broader political and military context. Mm-hmm. You get that from courses like this. But also exposure to um, uh, senior discussions, um, whether it's on the equivalent of principles committees in the US and UK or just among strategic leaders. But I think it's also important for strategic leaders to explain to, to take the time to explain to subordinates why they are, uh, why the handling and the timing of taking decisions or presenting options is almost as important as the substance of the options themselves, if you see what I mean. Right, absolutely, it's gotta be explained up and down yeah. and sideways and- probably. Timing is everything as, you know, not just in comedy, but in, sure. <laughs> in giving political <laughs> advice too. No, I think in, in context 
matters and, and timing and those go to yeah. those go together. Can you talk a little bit, tell us about a time um, in your experience when you felt that judgment and those characteristics of judgment and humility and speaking out um, were particularly important at the strategic level for you? Um, so no, no great strategic decision um, just in the daily management of campaigns. I, I did a job two jobs ago where I was uh, in UK parlance, assistant chief of the defense staff for operations in US parlance. That roughly equates to the J3 on the, on the DJ3 on the joint staff. Um, obviously at smaller scale because we're not as big as you are. Sure. And, um, but nevertheless, the level of exposure was about the same. So I found myself you know, uh, occasionally attending National Security Council meetings, um, uh, briefing the cabinet, briefing uh, the prime minister and so on. And uh, so things you have to learn. First of all, I suspect this is true of almost any politician. You've probably got a maximum of two minutes to explain an issue. And you've probably got a maximum of 15 minutes of the first of those, 15 seconds of those two minutes to capture their attention. So the ability to express complex problems clearly and succinctly is a, a really important skill that you need to develop. Um, and I have seen, you know, I have made, I made mistakes and I have seen others make mistakes in, um, in allowing uh, important discussions around uh, commitment to operations or troop numbers or future plans and strategy um, in some of the theatres we were engaging with um, not to be explained in a way that the politician could understand or that because he, he in this case the Prime Minister was frustrated he uh, leapt on um, the, the discussion went off in an unhelpful way and a failure at that level leads to painful consequences down at the tactical level, level, which essentially we're all serving. Sure. One of the things that I like to remind students a lot is that one of their jobs is to communicate yeah. not only to their senior leaders and their senior commanders, but also to the civilian political masters yeah. who are making decisions, uh, in some cases to the public. And that translation of the military lingo and vocabulary and a way of thinking that is not common yeah. um, in the political sphere and vice versa. So so we, we talk a lot about needing to understand politics in the civilian world without being political yeah. um, as, a, as a real challenge and something that I think... So Elliot Cohen is very good on this. Sure. He's, he's always worth listening to. Um, and he comes across to, the, to speak in the UK as well. Um, and I think one of the, the perennial challenges, I'm sure Allenbrook faced exactly the same difficulties with Churchill that we face, is I worry about the, 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 the strategic machinery of government. Um, and perhaps in Churchill, both curse and blessing for Allenbrook, you had someone who understood strategy, who understood ends, means, and ways, could think at that level. But for better or for worse, our politicians nowadays don't have that kind of background. Right. They equate strategy to business, uh, and business strategy as opposed to its true meaning. Um, and the the challenge that, that that certainly military senior military leaders face is is in trying to um, trying to provide uh, a options because we owe our political leadership options, not a single choice. They they have the right to be able to choose, um, but also to make sure make clear 
the benefits and costs of those options and indeed of not taking a decision. If you like, it's this notion of um, objective, unemotional military advice. Mm -hmm. And I think that on both sides of the Atlantic, in the course of the last 10, 15 years, we have on occasion been guilty of sometimes presenting politicians with options that they want to hear. And it's very not it's very often not the politicians themselves that want that outcome. It's the layers of strategic machinery in between that can sometimes corrupt that military advice so that it's presented in a way that is politically pal palatable. Right, because then these are complex yeah. systems with many stakeholders and lots of, of people who are involved. And in your case, you know, the you go. deputies committee and principals committees, that, that, that should promote clarity and understanding rather than reduce options. Right. And sometimes it doesn't. Very good. You talked a little bit before about the, the challenges of, I think you said, the daily management of combat and of operations and the, the pace. One of the things that we hear a lot from students and from senior leaders who come is that right, there's never enough time. There's always more to do than um, you perhaps can. So can you tell us a little bit about how you manage, um, literally how you manage your time and your day? Um, how, do you get it, how do you get it done? So you're right. There's 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 never enough time. Um, I, I one of the the easiest bits of advice, but the hardest to follow, is to be really clear and disciplined about what your priorities are, and to write them down, and to review them periodically. And you'll have some standing priorities, and then you'll have focus areas that you want to look at over a period of you know let's say it, call it a win, an autumn term or something, and then to get your staff to uh, analyze what your diary is committed to. Is your diary actually supporting those priorities? Now, that'll only get you so far, but it's it's a start. Um, and it does force your staff to to be really focused um, on uh, on managing your time. And time at this level is is the single most precious asset you have. Um, it's remarkable sure. how clear that suddenly becomes. Um, the second is um, to uh, to set yourself some rules about when you're going to work and when you're not going to work. Um, so, for example, when you're traveling, and most of us do quite a lot of travel, um, are you going to work on airplanes or are you going to read, watch movies and rest and catch up? Either is legitimate. Just right, both are important. Both right? are important. Be clear about rest and sleep. I mean, Montgomery, for all that he's not the easiest general to, to, to like, he certainly had a lot of qualities you could admire. Um, and one of the things he was absolutely ruthless about was sleeping. Uh, and he slept eight hours a night pretty a much every, my own heart. every single day of the war. Don't ever let physical exercise fall away because once you, it's, a, it's a rut you can fall into. And, you know, we all know, but it's not just about your, your physical well-being. It promotes um, mental well-being too. The you're mind and body are, in fact, connected. You're generally a nicer person when you've done some exercise. In important ways. Yeah. Good. I, I noticed in your in your talk you, you you I think you at least appear to be read widely, right? We had references to Aristotle, um, and and all sorts of and Monty Python, which I which I appreciate. Can you talk a little bit about your your reading habits? What do you what do you read and what do you pay attention to? I read both trash and I read um, and I try and read well to expand my mind, uh, and I generally read trash at the end of the day to help me go to sleep. So I'll read a page or two of something that just helps me close down. And I try to devote um, 
uh, a bit of time each day uh, and over the weekend to read something that uh, that someone's recommended or or admire or admire um and it you know inevitably in my profession it tends to be around either military history um so i'm halfway through rick atkinson's trilogy at the moment i've just read the first two of those again uh, they're yeah. they're really beautifully well a general done. abe abrams who's my opposite number um that was his gift to me when we okay. when we first met and i met i was lucky enough to meet rick atkinson um hosted at a lunch a few years ago before he died um along with um some amazing historians actually uh, professors of michael howard and uh, anthony beaver all hosted by max hastings and rick atkinson was the guest of honor um and his book, I, I mean, it's, so it's a, quite a powerful. It, well, it's of, not just people. that they're historically incredibly uh, well researched. He's got a turn of phrase and a, and a narrative sweep that's just brilliant. No, I've I've learned. I've I've read them several times. And I've learned a lot yeah. each, each time I go back to them. Yeah. Um, I find something new to find. Um, the last question I'd like to ask is: Can you tell us about your best day as a strategic leader? <laughs> what 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 is what does a great day look like for you? Uh, a great day is when I am, when I am, I mean, I'm very lucky because um, as the equivalent of the force con commander, the field army commander, my day divides basically into really crap stuff and really good stuff. And the really crap stuff is almost anything to do with uh, everything going upwards. Um, uh, so army board business, money, institutional management, that kind of thing. And the great stuff is stuff when I get to go down into the field army and visit units and sure. brigades. Um, and I get a kick out of being around soldiers. Very um, good. And giving them a chance to um, to tap me, poke me in the chest and tell me what's um, what they think is crap. And of course, soldiers think all things are crap, so right. it's, it's a long <laughs> list. Um, but also sometimes being able to fix things for them. Good. And then I, I we should have ended on a positive note, but what, what is... Oh, what's, that was positive. Well, I was going to ask what the what your worst day might look like, but... Uh, I don't have any worst days. I haven't... I haven't... I, I can't... I mean, other than you know, the obvious thing to say is days that I have lost soldiers under my command right. in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, and those are, you know, those are... Those are awful days. Sure. Um... In those are the only bad days we have. The rest of it, it's just a privilege. I'm not being sentimental. I just love my job. It's nice to have a job that you that you love and that you want to. We're going to work isn't a chore. Yeah, it's never um, that. Very good. So, all right, the, the, we've we've ended it on a on a happier note than yes. um, going going to work is is a is a privilege and a and an honor. Hua. Um, I, I vowed never to say that word, um, so when, I won't I won't do it when now. In, when in Rome, I perhaps I'm I'm not there yet. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Thanks so Thank much you. for your time. Uh, this is Jackie Witt again. I'm signing off for the Warcast, which is part of the War Room Online Journal. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks for having me. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.